c'est vrai. Je suis un ananas. Now, in the uh, towers of uh, Edmonton... I'm not a Tory. I don't speak on both sides. I do not use crack cocaine, nor am I an addict of crack cocaine. another episode of fat french and fabulous i am jessica and i'm janelle and that sounded like fab fabulous 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 fat french and fabulous fat french and fabulous what accent is that i have no idea (laughs) we were um before we recorded this podcast we were talking about um we were gonna record like two hours ago but we ended up having a two-hour conversation about jody picolt novels (laughs) if you can if you can stomach it if you can make your mind turn to the existential horror that is Jodie Picoult's literary career. Uh, do. It's hilarious. <laughs> Jodie Picoult has not been okay for some time, and, like, we as-, as Someone a, hurt her deeply as a person. As a society, we've all really let her down, so- I personally have failed Jodie Picoult, and so have you. Yeah, so if this podcast ever turns into, like, a thing that makes money, the first thing we'll be doing is forming a non-profit organization that just sends people to Jodie Picoult's house to give her a hug every morning. <laughs> that's that's what we need. That was That's how we'll make the world a better place. It's the Jodie Picoult Needs a Hug, hu- a hug Charitable Foundation. <laughs> I, I think it's really going to end a lot of suffering in the world. Jodie Picoult Protection Agency. <laughs> seriously like read the synopses of her recent books they somebody yeah. has we have oh. all let her down we should all feel deeply ashamed i don't know what happened to jody picolt but it was the screams of that incident the ripples the echoes tear through the fabric of time and space the signs were there like she's been making obvious cries for help and we've we've all just been ignoring her and turning her horrifying books into movies <laughs> We all just thought that this was some kind of literary experiment when really she was a broken woman asking the world to find it in her heart, in in its heart, to let her in, to open its arms. Yeah, the Wikipedia entries are just hilarious because it's like, oh, it's a picture of two people holding hands and uh, that's nice. Oh, and that next one's like a little girl in a pink dress. Oh, that's cute. And it's like, yeah, this one's about a school shooting where all the kids die. And the next one is about child sexual abuse and also murder and someone has cancer there's a lot of there's a lot going on oh just a lot happens and it all comes at you at once we'll we'll put up a sign-up sheet if you want to go yeah. <laughs> i'm jody pickles you too <laughs> you too can end suffering in this world can bring happiness and joy to the lives of millions by giving J- jody pickles a deep deep hug <laughs> One that lets her know she's not alone. I thought you were going to say you can end Jodie Picoult's suffering, and I was like, no, no, no. No, <laughs> that's, that phrasing is not okay. <laughs> that is going to be, like, that is going to be after the podcast breaks up, after you and I get in a fight over our millions and millions of advertising dollars, and I go completely off the deep end. And shoot and- Jodie Picoult? <laughs> no, and just start, like, a completely different charity for euthanizing Jodie Picoult. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> oh, wow. Just a humane euthanization of famed literary author Jody Picoult. 
there is a 0% chance that your parents didn't put a tracking device in your molars <laughs> for this exact reason. Yeah, yeah, well, I got that one taken out. I'm, I'm free now. <laughs> just got a screwdriver out of the drawer and just popped that fucker out. <laughs> and I, I think that segues nicely into this week's topic, actually. <laughs> Yeah. Speaking of which, today's episode is on the history of surgery, specifically self-surgery, the practice of operating on oneself. There is no artistic director fucking <laughs> reining us in. And this should be abundantly clear at this point. We run these topics by nobody but each other. And we're just no, yeah. each other's biggest enablers. I know I like- Oh, absolutely. I comment frequently on this podcast that I should probably check on Jessica more, but you should all know that I am absolutely enabling her. In every yeah, possible way. You're, you're, you're the person in the passenger seat who's just going like, I don't know, guys, maybe we shouldn't do this, but at no point do you attempt to leave the car. <laughs> <laughs> I am actively telling you to turn left straight down the path of insanity. I mean, sure, you're saying you don't want to go, but also you've got the map open and you're giving me directions. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much sums up this relationship. <laughs> And and I'd like to I'd like to dedicate this podcast uh, to Doctor Simon Bramhall, the British surgeon who last year pled guilty to two counts of assault after using argon gas to sign his initials on the livers of two of his patients. Wait, wait is is having one of our episodes dedicated to you an honor or a deep <laughs> and insulting punishment? I don't know, but either way, there is such a thing as being too proud of your work, Dr. Bramhall. Don't sign livers. <laughs> Good luck with the suspension. <laughs> he got suspended? He wasn't, like, disbarred? Or yeah, whatever yeah. the fuck a doctor's equivalent is? Yeah, like, he's, he's still a doctor. Oh, God. <laughs> so you can sign livers, but then you have to take a vacation. Yeah. You, you don't get paid for a while. You're, you're very naughty. <laughs> you get a strongly worded letter. I mean, like, he didn't convince millions of people that vaccines cause autism, so I guess British surgery's alright with him. Wait, how did they catch him? Who's like, alright, time to take a look at my own liver, just to see how that's going? They, they, they went back in to check to see, like, to see that, like, the organs were, were taking. Oh, like, no. Like, they went in to, like, look, they looked in again. Like, I don't remember if it was, like, to check on, like, the surgery, or, like, to do additional surgery. I don't not sure exactly what it was, but at some point during a routine operation, somebody was like, hmm, that looks like a signature on this actual living human being's fucking liver. <laughs> to be a fly on the wall of that operating room. I mean, if there's a fly on the wall, it's a disgusting operating room, and you're killing oh, yeah, people. But to be a fly on the people wall... People are dying. God damn. Oh, but to be a metaphorical, non- disease vector fly on that hopefully sterilized wall. Somebody get some goddamn Lysol. Please, for the sake of the children. <laughs> and anybody else with a large open wound. <laughs> if you have an autographed liver, you already have enough problems. You don't need sepsis. <laughs> At certain point, the autograph is the least of your problems. Because sepsis is brutal. <laughs> It's the, yeah, you know, like, I, on the one hand, it kind of makes sense, because, like, on the one hand, that is a deeply fucked up thing to do to somebody's liver, but on the other hand, I mean, it's not the worst thing your doctor could do while he's inside your bodily cavities. Oh, God. I mean... <laughs> we don't need, we don't need to go down He this. could leave a spanner in there. That's actually... As many doctors have. That's actually much tamer than anything I thought you were gonna say. 
I don't know why you think the worst of me. It's really hurtful. <laughs> you consistently give me reason to. <laughs> Actually, yeah, coming to think of it, having listened to well over 30 hours of her conversations, I kind of do understand. <laughs> I kind of get it now. I kind of understand why people are worried about me. Yeah, I thought you were going to say, like, the doctor's going to shove his hand up your bodily cavity and just <laughs> play you like a fucking Muppet off Sesame Street. Uh, just pull up your liver and, like, make it talk like make it talk like Kermit the Frog. I don't know. <laughs> One of those Martians? <laughs> nope, 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 nope. Nope, 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 And so, like, the, the nurse picks up the spleen. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> None of these You people. are an enabler. You are an enabler. Sycophant really and an enabler. <laughs> As a warning, and I do understand that many of our episodes cover disturbing topics. Yeah, we kind of missed the boat on warnings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like this is this is a specific thing that some people might find disturbing, even if everything else we've ever talked about has been completely kosher. <laughs> child murder's fine, but this child murder's fine, but this you might you might get a little. If you find descriptions of surgery and amputation particularly distressing, you might need to sit this one out or be ready to pause the episode if you start feeling queasy. I did not include especially graphic depiction descriptions of the cases we will be discussing, but knowing that I have a freakishly high tolerance for disturbing content, I'd like our listeners to have some forewarning. <laughs> Wait, am I allowed to sit this one out if I get queasy? Absolutely not. You're in for the long haul. God damn it. <laughs> If, if you have to puke, just lean over and let yourself go. Just straight on right my back carpet. To podcasting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I've got a I've got an open textbook here that's it looks absorbent. The most common and most survivable form of self surgery is an auto amputation. What? Usually Hmm? Oh, that was that would not be my first guess. Oh yeah, this is this is the most survivable form of of of, of of operating on yourself. Just uh, usually, wax up muff. Uh, usually, but not always, this is a matter of necessity. The emergency removal of an injured, sickly, or trapped limb without access to professional medical attention. Got blood poisoning? Got gangrene? Leg pinder under heavy machinery in a deep, dark cave far from home? Tough luck. Nod off with your teeth! You <laughs> might have to lop, lop that puppy off. Use your teeth. Use your teeth. Yeah, hope you've got something sharp on you, or this is going to take a while. Uh, other more uh, <laughs> personal forms of, of amputation, such as self-castration, are generally associated with some form oh of God. profound mental disturbance or duress, either extreme body dysmorphia or sexual and religious obsessions. And I would just like to state for the record that you should not cut your own balls off. Uh... So, so from here on, most of our male audiences now shut the podcast. This is, this hey, is a female audience from now on. So, <laughs> yeah, on, on that note, because I have been asked this repeatedly in the past, uh, castration is not removal of the penis. How has that? No, no. How is that a question that you have been um, asked repeatedly? I'm not sure. <laughs> what is happening in your life? Do strangers just approach you on the street? Like, please, somebody tell me. Is castration removal of the penis or just the balls? Help. You lead a strange and terrifying life. I think I just bring up eunuchs a lot. Or maybe I just seem like the sort of person who would be cool with the question. About testicular amputation. I don't know. I just, like, I just seem very open. 
very willing to well engage in intellectual discourse. I'm a free thinker. I actually have I more questions thinker. than I started with. Anyway, yeah. you know, it is removal of the testicles. The removal of the penis would be a penectomy. Or in this case, an, the an autopenectomy, which you also shouldn't do unless your penis is strapped under a boulder. In which case, like, congratulations <laughs> on its extreme length. This is like, but wow, like, I mean. <laughs> tough luck on the naked rock climbing. <laughs> I don't understand how you got into this situation, but kudos, I guess. <laughs> Uh, but one of the most extreme, most dangerous forms of self-surgery is ab- internal abdominal surgery for obvious reasons. Don't remove your own spleen. You will miss. You can basically live without an arm. Uh, so uh, Again, these are usually performed in extremis, where there are no other options and a high risk of death otherwise. This is not a recreational thing. No, not usually. Like, it's like, oh man, I'm gonna do some volleyball, maybe operate on my own hernia, you know. Uh, And then I think I'm just gonna do, like, a keg stand. Like, it's not... This is generally a pretty extreme situation. Uh, Such is the case of 27-year-old surgery student Leonid Ivanovich Rogozov. What? What national... That's many nationalities. Uh, no, just Russian. Leonid, what a f- that's a fun Leonid. name. Leonid, that is a fun, fun name. So, <laughs> Rokozov was the only doctor on staff at the Soviet base, and I want you to applaud me here. Novolazarevskaya, yes, yes, thank you, uh, in Antarctica, when he fell ill on the morning of April 29th, 1961, at the beginning of Antarctica's cold, dark winter. Is there any other kind of winter in Antarctica? Well, they do have a summer season, yes. Oh, that's fun. What that's the, we should go visit. We should. It, we should it is do like twenty four hour sunlight, and it is slightly less cold. Never mind. I hate sunlight. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's like the worst of both worlds, where the sun <laughs> is constantly constantly spying on you, but it's also shitty as fuck. Jessica hisses at the sun not because she's a vampire, but because she distrusts it. It's watching me. <laughs> I don't like it. I'm going to put its it. motives. I have several nanny cams on order from Amazon. They will be here shortly. <laughs> I appreciate that. You're always looking out for me. <laughs> Just going to watch you hiss at the sun. So the ship had left, the sea had frozen, and the blizzards had begun. The small skeleton crew left at the base would be unable to contact the rest of civilization beyond the coast of Antarctica until winter broke once more. People sign up for this. <laughs> Rogozov here, he was a volunteer. Oh, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. Oh, absolutely. He interrupted his studies in Leningrad and his very important dissertation on surgery techniques for esophageal cancer and just leapt at the opportunity to spend a year in the worst place on Earth, <laughs> minus the penguins. Fuck your esophagus. I'm going <laughs> to a frozen chunk of ice. <laughs> I have better things to do. Uh, Rogozov's symptoms included weakness, malaise, nausea, and a low-grade fever. And, eventually, pain in the lower right quadrant of his ab- abdomen. The following is an excerpt from Rogozov's diary. It seems that I have appendicitis. I am keeping quiet about it, even smiling. Why frighten my friends? Who could be of help? <laughs> All right, so we now know what it would sound like if Ayn Rand got appendicitis. 
That's a reference to our Russians, second episode. All Russians sound like Ayn Rand. <laughs> all Russians are Ayn Rand in my mind. <laughs> I'm also like very like impressed with his powers of diagnosis because like every other symptom, you know, malaise, a feeling of general unease, a low grade fever. That's just how I feel after watching Riverdale. So <laughs> other than the pain in the abdomen, that's it's a real really? medical mystery. Every time I watch Riverdale, that's exactly what happens to me. Just, like, pain in the lower right quadrant of my abdomen. <laughs> uh, it is not a well-written show, but I love it. <laughs> uh, Rokozov attempted to treat himself with antibiotics, but his condition continued to deteriorate with an increase in both body temperature and frequency of vomiting. Murney, the closest Soviet research station, was too far away to lend aid, and weather conditions made landing aircraft perilous. So normally this is where you die. Normally this is where you die. By the evening of April 30th, it was clear what had to be done. Oh, Here again, no. we turn to Rogozov's diary. I did not sleep at all last night. <laughs> Still no obvious symptoms that perforation is imminent, but an oppressive feeling of foreboding hangs over me. The guys have found out. They keep coming by to calm me down. And I'm upset with myself. I've spoiled everyone's holiday. <laughs> Tomorrow is May Day. And now everyone's running around preparing the autoclave. We have to sterilize the bedding because we're going to operate. I like to imagine that him being upset was just him staring stone-faced at a wall. And when they came <laughs> in to like, calm him down, they would just sort of nod and he would nod back and that's... That's all the emotion that this situation needed. You know, it's just so terrible that they have to go to all this effort for me. And, like, <laughs> what he's referring to is just, like, the mechanic just slapped him on the back once. <laughs> I have spoiled our holiday. Is something that you say, like, when you get diarrhea in Cancun. <laughs> it's not really what you say when you get appendicitis in the Antarctic. <laughs> yeah, like, what holiday? <laughs> like, so the, the Soviets were so deprived. <laughs> That this is, like, a fun day at the beach for them. <laughs> yeah, this is like when you accidentally drink the water in Mexico. Like, this is not... This is a bit above like, and beyond. It's like, we, there is very little risk here of being executed by the state, and there's funny birds! <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> what a lovely time to spend the Russian summer! <laughs> if you have to watch your friend dig out his own appendix with a knife... That's your holiday's not ruined. Your fucking life is ruined. <laughs> you will never be okay again. You're gonna have flashbacks to this when you're holding your grandchildren. This is this your is, Vietnam. This is not fine. <laughs> you're not uh, okay. <laughs> nothing is okay. Uh, the base crew rigged up a makeshift operating theater in Rogozov's room under his instructions. He selected three members of the crew to assist him in the operation. The meteorologist, Artemev, to hand Rogozov his in surgical instruments. I was going to say, that's a skill set that translates. Meteorology, mm, surgery. <laughs> uh, the mechanic, Toplinsky, to hold the mirror and adjust the table lamp. <laughs> it's like, hey, Toplinsky, you've got steady hands. Uh, <laughs> hold this mirror. <laughs> Is, don't worry, it's just like car engine. <laughs> my, like, my Russian accent continues to just come out as Count Chocula. That's all I can really do. <laughs> just vaguely Transylvanian. That's all I've got. And Gerbovich, the station director, as the world's most high-stakes understudy, in case either of the other two puked or fainted. <laughs> Catch the uh, mirror before it shatters, you <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Good luck! <laughs> 
If worse came to worst, and Rogozov himself lost consciousness, he instructed <laughs> them on how to provide artificial ventilation to keep him breathing and to inject him with the drugs he had prepared for such an eventuality. Oh, like, don't take over for me. Just wake me back up. Revive me and I'll keep going. Give me a sharp slap and a fucking <laughs> pail of water. I got this. Get the smelling salts out and I'll keep going. <laughs> Jesus fuck. <laughs> Uh, the Russians are hardcore, as the kids say. <laughs> they don't fuck around. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't trust you. I will fix on hernia. <laughs> I will remove on appendix. So Get this away. isn't a hernia. You're digging a piece of yourself out. You, That's not a place you, you want to miss. Oh, absolutely. I practiced this surgery on live bear. No anesthesia. Yeah, I remember practicing this on, on Mother's Farm. <laughs> bears would get very irritated. They fight. They, fight, <laughs> they fight. Do bears have an appendix? That's something that Mother our... Mother holds them down. <laughs> yeah. This is something one of our, our particularly attentive listeners can Google for me. Do bears have an appendix? I expect an answer on my desk by Monday. Hey, Seth. Yeah, it's Bears. Seth. Appendix. <laughs> Figure it out. <laughs> Rokosov gave his chosen assistants a sterile wash put on their gloves, then scrubbed in himself, though he declined gloves, foreseeing that he would have to rely heavily on his sense of touch due to the depth of the operation and the awkward angle. I'll just wash him real good. <laughs> mm, just wash him real good. He would lean forward or use the mirror on occasion to get a better look, but otherwise he relied on what his hands were telling him because leaning forward was tiring, and the mirror, while helpful for getting a clear image, showed everything backwards. Oh, fuck, that's right. That is yeah. how light works. Mm. Mm. That is how reflections operate. Mm. God damn it, I would, I would be completely <laughs> Damn <fucked>. physics. <laughs> be like, well, that you feels like inconvenient. <laughs> goo that hurts me, and that's also goo that hurts me, and yeah, more goo that hurts me. Basically, the idea here is potentially having dirty hands is less bad than accidentally puncturing your own intestines. Sepsis can be an adventure. Sepsis is always, always an adventure. My brother had sepsis. He pulled through. Hmm. He hmm. got it from uh, a burn. I, I, this is how I can tell if he doesn't listen to this podcast. He decided <laughs> the night he graduated high school, he did a backflip over a bonfire that did not go as as planned. And he ended up with third degree burns on his arm, which he then hid from mm. my parents until they went full smart. septic. Smart. It was a Very fun. Smart. Oh, yeah. You get to have lots and lots of antibiotics from a bag. Mm. <laughs> delicious, delicious antibiotics. Just slip them with a straw. <laughs> We're a hearty bunch, the Como Man. clan. Man, I hope when they give you, when you give you antibiotics in a bag, they give you a better straw than the Capri Sun does. <laughs> it goes, yeah, it's a straw that goes directly into your way elbow veins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sepsis, sepsis is an adventure, but it's not like The Hobbit an adventure. It's more like Game of Thrones an adventure. It's fun like, with... A lot of people die. <laughs> yeah, it's fun with having a 102 degree fever and blacking out in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Del a delight. Uh, <laughs> The operation began at 2 a.m. local time on May 1st, 1961. Oh, so let's do this in the fucking dark. Oh, it's always dark. Never mind. It's Antarctica. There's no sunrise. There's no sunrise. Uh, actually, no. It's it's, it's very brief. I, I think I think the sun sets for the last time in May, but at, at the most they're getting like twilight conditions. It's not great. We're just doing uh, this in the dark anyway. Yeah. Rokozov lay in a semi-reclining supine position, which basically means that he was sort of half-sitting in the bed where he was operating on himself, with his body partially turned so that his weight was resting on his left hip. 
Rogozov administered 20 milliliters of a solution of 0.5% procaine, a local anesthetic, and made a 10 to 12 inch... In- a 12, that's way too much. A 10 like, to 12 centimeter incision. Holy shit, which is, 12 inches. Let's just, let's just cut them right open. Need lots of space to work with. From, from a fucking hip bone to chest cavity. Like, holy fuck. That's an evisceration. That's not a surgery. <laughs> it's like, this is like full Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This poor guy. You need a fourth guy uh, to hold his guts as they slide out with an incision that large. I hope he was tall. Holy shit. Uh, <laughs> In any case, that is roughly four to four and a half inches for listeners planning their own auto-appendectomies in Virginia this. and Tennessee. No, this is the real warning that we need at the beginning of this podcast. Do <laughs> not do this at home or at someone Ever. else's home Ever. or at school or on the bus. Any home. Don't do this. Don't. Anywhere other than an actual operating theater with an actual doctor. For the love of God, go to a doctor. Half, Please. Half of you are Canadian. You have no excuse. The rest of you, move to Canada. <laughs> Presumably before the, the before the appendicitis sets in, like start the paperwork now so that when you do start, like you start like experiencing a low grade f- grade fever, you'll be ready. <laughs> and to be clear, a low grade a fever is not a sign that you need an immediate appendectomy. <laughs> Don't reach for the knife. Do not immediately reach for the closest knife and like ask your nearest dearest friends with with steady hands to hold a mirror for you. Like, oh, do not. Well, my temperature's thirty eight and a half degrees Celsius. Somebody get me a fucking mirror. There's no, there's no time. Yeah, there's no time. This is the real reason why you need at least three friends, just in case one of the first two pukes when you're uh, when you're when you're removing your own appendix. No, you need three <laughs> friends because in case one of them says, "Hey, that sounds like a great idea." <laughs> You need, you need fail-safes on, like, who's going to be the adult in the room. <laughs> you need a certain level of redundancy in case somebody's going to enable. Jessica's not your fail-safe. She will start fucking yeah, scrubbing absolutely in. Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> I am just way too willing to support my friends in all their endeavors. I'm just... I'm too good a friend. I got rubber gloves and Windex. Let's do this. <laughs> That laughter yeah, is I, not a denial. No, it is not. Yeah, you, you, if this was a three-person podcast, you could bet it would not be for long or that we would be far more circ- circumspect in our choices of topics. <laughs> <laughs> there would be some checks and balances. There's, you know. As is, it's just it's just chaos. We don't even, like, critique each other's ideas. You know, Janelle just says, like, hey, I want to do one on, like, a missing little girl. That sounds funny. And I just go, yeah, sure, fine. (laughs) Can I do one on, like, removing your own appendix? And Janelle's like, yeah, okay. (laughs) We are a parachute that did not open. (laughs) No, that was, like, almost, like, it's extremely astronomically impossible that your parachute and your backup parachute both won't open. That's us. Welcome to your free fall, fucker. (laughs) Uh, so when entering the peritoneal cavity, Rogozov accidentally cut into the the cecum, part of the large intestine, and had to sew the wound shut before he continued. Jesus fuck. Uh, After 30 to 40 minutes, the work slowed considerably as weakness and vertigo forced Rogozov to stop and rest repeatedly. After finally removing the appendix, Rogozov applied antibiotics to the peritoneal cavity and closed the incision. The operation lasted a total of an hour and 45 minutes. Ah! ah. (laughs) I don't, like, fully know what a peritoneal cavity is, but I know that I want mine to be intact and not fucked with. 
Just stay the fuck out. <laughs> I don't want anyone to have knives inside my peritoneal cavity. My peritoneal realize... cavity is not open for business. It is... Yeah, I didn't even realize I had a peritoneal cavity until I was researching for this podcast, but now I'm very protective of it. Yeah, just it's fine. It's not... Nope, stay out. I also don't really stay know what a cecum to... is or what it does, but I know that I don't want it punctured. Uh, judging by the state of the removed appendix, it would have likely burst within the next day had Rogozov not chosen to operate, which would have led to sepsis and Rogozov's death. I say that kills you. That sounds like something that, that kills that, you. That that kills you dead. Oh, <laughs> we're not good at being uh, a species that lives. Yeah, like uh, having your appendix burst is bad news, even in a modern society where you live close to a hospital. It is especially bad in 1961 in Antarctica. <laughs> There's degrees here, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's not good in this any is, of them. This is especially not good. <laughs> this is double ungood. <laughs> ungood, says the mm. linguistics major. Technically, it's a 1984 reference. I'm being literary. Uh, another excerpt from his diary, when, which he wrote two weeks later. I didn't allow myself to think about anything other than the task at hand. It was necessary to steel myself, steel myself firmly and grit my teeth. My poor assistants. At the last minute, I looked over at them. They stood there in their surgical whites, whiter than white themselves. I was scared too. But when I picked up the needle and the Novocaine and gave myself the first injection, somehow I automatically switched into operating mode and from that point on, I didn't notice anything else. <laughs> I mean, is this kind of the activity where you can let your mind wander? Can you really be sewing yeah. up your own intestine and just thinking like, man, do, do, do. I wonder what's for dinner tonight. Zip Did I leave the stove on? Day. My, oh my, what a wonderful day. Just got your favorite songs stuck in your head, which I assume is the Russian national anthem. <laughs> Moscow, Moscow. <laughs> that is not the Russian national anthem. <laughs> No, but it's a beautiful song, and I love it. <laughs> just thinking of the homeland. I, I just love the fact that he's like, my poor assistant. Yeah, I'm the one <laughs> sewing up my own body and digging out my diseased appendix. But I just, I really feel for the guys who have to watch me do it. <laughs> yeah, like the dude who has to hold the mirror, he's having a rough time. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, the people who have to watch you lead your life are probably suffering more than you are, but that's an entirely different circumstance. <laughs> Some of these things look worse from the outside, but I don't think giving yourself yourself an auto appendectomy is one of those instances. Yeah, that's probably worse to do. <laughs> yeah, I just on on the face of it, even having never done it, I don't believe you. <laughs> I don't believe you, Rosa. <laughs> I think you are excessively Russian. <laughs> you are too Russian to function. <laughs> See, like, I felt my entire world start to spin when I was watching the torture scenes in Altered Carbon, which do not show any gore. It's just somebody being punched in the face repeatedly, and then it's heavily implied that a fingernail's ripped off, and I was just like, oh, no. Oh, that's enough. That oh, God. Enough. Oh, man, when did my yeah. desk get so spinny? <laughs> like, I don't know. I, like, I, I felt kind of ill once. When nobody got injured in a movie scene, but someone just, like, happened to have a cigar cutter on them at the same point where, like, there was a shot of someone's fingers in a close-up. Like, that was enough for me. <laughs> How are you doing- th why did you pick this? <laughs> I don't know, it's just fingers that, that do it for me. Abdominal surgery? That's fine. <laughs> I went into psychology to understand you. 
<laughs> it didn't work. Now I'm just stuck with this career. A- another person just completely sincerely admitted to me that she went into special ed because she 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 she, she got to know me when I was a teenager, and I didn't know how to feel about that. Like yeah. that's either like. A beautiful comp- compliment or a devastating insult. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you so much. I went to school so that I could educate people like you. <laughs> Fuck you. I just, I just need to fix whatever happened in your childhood to make you like this. I need to save people from becoming you. <laughs> that's, a, that's a perfectly natural instinct. <laughs> I, you know what? I buy it. <laughs> that seems... That's acceptable. That's reasonable. (laughs) The rest of the operating team were a tad shaken by the experience. Understandable. Uh, The following was was written by by Station Head Gerbovich that night. When Rogozov had made the incision and was manipulating his own innards as he removed the appendix, his intestine gurgled which was highly unpleasant for the rest of us. <laughs> it made one want to turn away, flee, not look, but I kept my head and stayed. Artemev and Teplinsky also had their held their places, although it later turned out that they had both gone quite dizzy and were close to fainting. Rogozov himself was calm and focused on his work, but sweat was running down his face and he frequently asked Teplinsky to wipe his forehead. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that seems reasonable. And like, what what seems to me like the biggest potential problem with like your third understudy is like, you know how like when somebody pukes, and then like you were fine before they puke, <laughs> and then you puke, but now you, but then you, then you puke. <laughs> see, this seems like a perfect like a perfect storm of just like if one person goes, everybody's going. Yeah, normally the, like the only consequences of that are like getting banned from Uber, but. <laughs> In this case, there's a little more at stake. Yeah, like, do try not to puke in the operating room. (laughs) (laughs) See, no matter, like, what personal failures I have in this life, like, enabling you to start this podcast with me, I just pride myself on the fact that I have never thrown up on an Uber. (laughs) In an Uber or around an Uber. My only real goal in this life has nothing to do with finishing my graduate studies or publishing a novel someday. It's all about not puking in someone else's car. That's all I want. There have been some close calls, let me tell you. My my father, who uh, who was once a taxi driver, would thank you. <laughs> he has some stories. I held out long enough to get out of the Uber, up my four flights of stairs before vomiting, somehow, on the ceiling. But I did not <laughs> throw up in an Uber. You are a paragon of control. I don't remember any of this. This was this was told to me when my roommate checked on me at 4 p.m. the next day because she was concerned that I was dead. <laughs> I have few memories of this incident. You seem drunk and now there's puke on the ceiling. Are you dead? Because I don't want to pay all the rent. <laughs> Her questions were, are you dead and how? <laughs> how did you do this thing? How and why. <laughs> Are you dead? No? Good. Excellent. <laughs> now I have some questions. <laughs> There's no why for anything I do. I think we firmly established that. Mm, there is no reason. <laughs> there is no There is no rhyme. Uh, so Rogozov, back to him, returned to his duties two weeks later and made a full recovery. Oh, I would have taken more time off. Who's gonna say no? 
Treat yourself, buddy. Like, I understand the communist work, work ethic, the du- duty to the motherland, but dude, no one would blame you if you just rested for another week. Holy. They're going to give you the time off, buddy. No one will deny you. <laughs> no one's reporting you. No one's calling you on it. If you want to stay in bed a couple more days, I think people would prefer that. Stalin himself would be like, no, fuck, go back to bed. No. Please. 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 <laughs> Anyone who saw this man remove his own appendix, they'd just let him do anything for like the next six months if he wanted to. <laughs> no one no one would ask. <laughs> My five-year plan does not need you that badly. We will, yeah. we will get by. Thanks, but I don't- I'm not gonna insist. (laughs) I mean, it would be nice to have someone help me with this, but you're giving me flashbacks just looking at you. (laughs) He was later awarded uh, a Soviet Order of the Red Banner. (laughs) They give awards for Uh, weird things in Russia. Very, very strange things. I I don't think they know what else to do with somebody who removed their own appendix. I feel confident, uh, though, that if you removed your own appendix in Canada, you would be made Order of Canada. That seems to be an award with no real criteria. No, there's, there's, it's basically meaningless at this point. Uh, <laughs> they won't give us one for this podcast. <laughs> I mean, someday. <laughs> it's entirely possible, even plausible. <laughs> I don't know about that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we've committed far too much of the crime of Lay's la- Majesté to be really confident in a knighthood. <laughs> I was gonna say, like, crimes against basic human decency. But we also have gone out of our way on multiple oca- occasions to insult or otherwise impugn the honor of the British monarchy. <laughs> nah, as long as we don't insult the governor general, we're in the clear. <laughs> Wink. <laughs> Canada has a fake queen for all you American listeners. And sometimes our fake queen is a dude. It's our, very our fake queen is usually a dude. Yeah. For a long time, most of my childhood it was a woman, but That's true. We had a we had a, a Haitian woman for a long time, but yeah, now we have yeah. a now we're back to dude queen. Canada's a fun place. Yeah, now we're back to dude queen. We're very strange. <laughs> you summarized the governor general's uh, roles and duties then. Is it not Canada's weird fake queen? <laughs> Dude, queen pretty much sums it up. Our weird fake queen without any power. We invite you can Google we, it. We let him give book awards. <laughs> Look it up. That's power enough. <laughs> uh, the incident also led to a change in policy requiring thorough medical examination of personnel prior to a deployment in similar circumstances. Which begs the question, why didn't you already have that? Maybe this guy's appendix <laughs> will explode, maybe it will not. Don't know. I don't know. I like surprises. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Go out. Find weird birds. Explode insides. Go. Because, <laughs> you know, like, a random organ explosion seems like a problem for any expedition. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's just me. <laughs> Well, you don't know how to have fun at the bottom of the world. It's pretty boring once you get used to the penguins. All you've got is card <laughs> games and organ roulette. <laughs> there was there was thirteen people at, on this expedition. Like, that's that's one or two of them was was bound to have an organ explosion. I think that's just how it works with Russians. All right, like 
Is it going to be Vladimir's appendix? Is it is it going to be Romanov's spleen? Who knows? Dimitri, what about your heart, eh? eh? <laughs> <laughs> Just keep coming back for more. It's not the ice; it's the thrill. Yeah, yeah. It was it was pretty lame last time. Last time it was it was Pasha's gallbladder, and everybody lost a bunch of money. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, at a certain point, this just becomes a black market organ trade. <laughs> I don't think there's a huge market for used appendixes, but I, what do I know? Uh, and you might be thinking, of course this happened to a Russian. It's almost stereotypically Soviet for a young doctor to have to perform abdominal surgery in a situation of dire desperation with a paucity of resources at his disposal in a frozen wasteland far outside the reaches of civilization. That's Russia in my mind. It's just vodka, wolves, and self-surgery in the dark. Yeah, like, I don't know that there's any greater expression of the Russian soul beyond <laughs> eating your own cat to survive the winter and dancing the hot pack. We're gonna like, get some it, letters. That's it. That's it. <laughs> that's what being Russian is. Sleep inside uh, carcass of dog. <laughs> and that's why I am so sorry to tell you that a 60-year-old American surgeon did exactly the same thing. No. Essentially for shits and giggles 40 years earlier. I was going to say actually I can believe Americans do this but that has less to do with has less to do with the American spirit and more to do with a stunning lack of health insurance. <laughs> I'm I'm honestly surprised more people don't. <laughs> Uh, Evan O'Neill Kane was a f an experienced field surgeon and the head surgeon of the Kane Summit Hospital in Pennsylvania, a hospital founded by his parents. Oh, uh, nepotism. Mm, mm, yeah, there was quite a to-do about the tight control the family kept over the hospital in the early 1900s. Apparently because they uh, insist, like Kane, this particular Kane, insisted on having quite a bit of control over who was admitted and it pissed off the other local surgeons. We so rarely uh, see hospital nepotism these days. What a fun throwback. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it, 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 it's very fun, isn't it? They don't normally check your pedigree at the door these days. They'll sort no, of take no. any riffraff off the street. Yeah, surgery used to be a very different, a, a very different discipline. <laughs> a very different profession. I only uh, operate on the finest weird bulgy testicles. Kane said that he performed the appendectomy to demonstrate the efficacy of the, of the anesthetic, specifically procaine, the very same local anesthetic used by Rogozov, and to understand the experience from his patient's perspective. Oh, so literally shits and giggles. This is yeah. This is not yeah. medically advised or necessary. No. Like, he was literally in a hospital surrounded by other doctors. This man ran out of people to handcuff him to a bed. And he just yeah. had to take things up a notch. I suspect that at least part of his motivation was pure bragging rights and the attention that he would get from doing this. This was a little sexual. Which is just quintessentially American. <laughs> Merca. Like, why did you do this? Because he could. <laughs> that's, that's why. It's sort of the reason people climb Everest, like why it was there, because it's there, but, you know, not too many people apply this to their own body Dr. cavities? King, why did you remove your own appendix? Because it was there. And because it was swollen. Also, <laughs> <laughs> oh, he did have appendicitis, at least. He wasn't just like, all right. I, I was unable to determine that. Oh, so maybe he just was like, well, I don't I, need I this. I hope he had appendicitis. <laughs> you know what? I don't love this. I can get rid of this. 
no, they, they, they say, you know, get rid of what you don't need. And it's just like, uh, okay, Evan. <laughs> the principles of but, Martha Stewart's decluttering techniques do not apply to the human body cavity. Thanks, Evan. <laughs> yeah, just like, you know what, there's some, there's some stuff yeah. in there. It's just been hanging around since, you know, my childhood. Do I really need this? I'm just thinking of doing some spring cleaning. Mostly, you know, like a bit in the kitchen, a bit in the bathroom, a little bit in my bodily cavities, you know. Freshen things up. Things oh, up. God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, get some feng shui in my, in my, in my abdomen. Oh, <laughs> quiet. You'll give Gwyneth Paltrow ideas. <laughs> this is going to be the next shoving like a bulb of garlic up your butt or whatever it is she does. It is a jade <laughs> egg and it goes straight in your vag. <laughs> <laughs> That is so much worse than what I said. It is actually a lot worse. It's it's substantially worse. <laughs> you showed great optimism and I crushed it. Why must you do this to me? Because <laughs> you're making me learn about surgery. Ah, <laughs> uh, fair. Kane performed his own successful appendectomy on February 15th, 1921, to great public admiration. Which I think is just encouraging him, honestly. <laughs> Didn't have a lot to do back then. <laughs> uh, he had quite a few perfectly qualified people who could have done this for him, uh, including his own brother Tom, who helped close the incision. Uh, but Kane had a history of this kind of flagrant, unnecessary nonsense, having also amputated his own infected finger in 1919. Yeah, I'm becoming uh, like more and more certain that this is just a sexual rush. Yeah, like this is just this is just what gets him off. Pornhub uh, wasn't around yet. There was a lot of frustration. You had to make your own fun back in the day. <laughs> uh, he went on to perform another, even more dangerous surgery on himself in 1932, when he was 70, repairing his own inguinal hernia. And don't let the fancy medical terminology fool you, the inguinal area is the groin. I was going to say, butt hernia. Uh, <laughs> no, this that means that a 70-year-old man was operating very close to his own femoral artery, and if he had died due to puncturing it, he would have looked like an absolute asshole. <laughs> but at least he could have sued himself for malpractice. Mm, true. There's that. Yeah, there was there were some clear mistakes made make mistakes made in the the decision to go ahead with this operation with this particular with this particular doctor. He does not seem sufficiently removed from the situation. He seems like he has some conflicts of interest. I mean, his whole excuse falls apart. He said that he was doing this to prove the anesthetic worked. You proved that yeah. the first time. You don't need an encore. Yeah, he didn't encore. have to do it again. Yeah, this is yeah. not something that requires an encore. We, we believe you. Yeah, yeah. We, you did, we didn't need the repeat performance ten years later, thanks. <laughs> the magical mystery surgery tour. Like, no part of this mm. was needed. Nonetheless... Surgery was a, was, a, was a complete success. Somehow. <laughs> uh, other innovations promoted by Dr. Kane included gas headlamps to be worn by surgeons working in the field and surgical dressings woven with asbestos so they could be rapidly sterilized by throwing them in a fire when time was of the essence. Wow, that's something that only is healthy in 1921. <laughs> yeah, like that is a very 1921 sentence. Um we figured out how to wrap wounds in asbestos and then burn them. What Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's probably better to die of cancer 40 years from now than it is to die of bleeding out or of sepsis immediately. What a time to be alive. But I'm pretty sure the only reason this was allowed was because we 
did not know some things about asbestos. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing stuff. You can you can put it in the sides of buildings and keep yourself warm and keep your keep your lungs nice and cozy. It was in the sides of our like alma mater's buildings until my oh, third year of university. I think you were in grad school. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> they yeah, dug that I've out. been there. I've been there for years. And then they're like, I'm like, oh, they're renovating. What are they doing? Oh, they're removing some asbestos. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> my lungs are itchy. Um, All of a sudden, do your I'm, lungs itch? I'm, my lungs itch. My lungs itch. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, is that normal? My lungs are itchy. <laughs> <laughs> Can I scratch my own? I'm going to go. I'm going to go inhale Windex. Thank you. <laughs> that seems like a better option than being here. <laughs> This has been a full podcast of medical advice. <laughs> uh, he also used a phonograph to play music while operating to calm his patients. Oh, because they're fucking awake. That's, of course they are. <laughs> yes, yes. But he did, did anesthe- an- like give them anesthetic. So, like, both were happening. They're stoned uh, he- but awake. <laughs> they are stoned but awake. Which apparently is also pretty nightmarish. When you, like, uh, remember, you know, you're looking back on history and, re- like, seeing how many st- objectively stupid things people did back then, you have to remember that everybody was traumatized. Oh, every- absolutely Everybody everyone. had PTSD. They're just walking around. Nobody's sleeping. Out the ass. They're just overcome with flashbacks They're at the fucking grocery store. Like, nobody's okay. Yeah, everyone has seen a minimum of one child ripped apart, ripped apart by heavy machinery. That's just actually, that's just reality. They don't have PTSD. Actually, what's what's wrong with them is that they're just dead inside. They yeah, feel nothing. Yeah, like there's just there's just nothing in there. PTSD is actually a relatively recent diagnosis. It hasn't existed mm. in its current form until the last couple of decades. I snuck my degree in there. Um, before that, we believe that people were just so incredibly traumatized by the time they reached adulthood that they didn't even know it. Everyone was just sort of desensitized <laughs> and awful. <laughs> Which explains so much about child rearing before the modern era. Just Holy shit. smack them and then give them some opium and they'll sleep just fine. Just be perfect. It was just alternating between corporal punishment and actual heroin. Yeah, like it. It really, honestly, really explains a lot about how like how unpopular like corporal punishment, capital punishment, capital and- punishment for children. And war are in the in like in, <laughs> oh. not for children. I thought we were still talking about child rearing. Like yes, executing no. your children would be unpopular, <laughs> but it would get the behavior to stop. I mean, like I don't. I can think of no more effective a way of preventing children from children from picking their noses and sucking their thumbs than just the the threat of utter annihilation. <laughs> <laughs> stop fighting with your brother, or I will unmake you. <laughs> <laughs> I am a cruel and merciful god. <laughs> Mama is an alcoholic who owns a chainsaw. Come here, Timmy. Uh, he also advocated uh, tattooing infants for identification purposes, like not for like puppies. Giggles. <laughs> mm. Just a just a quick barcode in the ear, and they're good to go. Yeah, he thought that that was an excellent idea because like people would just be. Mixing up infants left and right in big hospitals. <laughs> I'm, I'm not quite sure exactly why he thought this was, but I think I think he was just very uncertain that clerical systems were sufficient. <laughs> I mean, people do get switched at birth, but I feel like it's less they of do. an issue today. Yeah. So we figured it out. It was probably an issue back in his day, at the very least. I mean, he's uh, Russian. Everybody, everybody's having blonde white baby. No, nobody's Russian here. 
we're American. Oh, that's right. We're American. (laughs) It's 3.30 in the morning. You're not okay. I'm not okay. I've also just, like, had to sit through several graphic tales of surgery. So, you know, (laughs) it's a lot of deep breathing over here. It's a lot. It's a lot. (laughs) I made my lab partner dissect the rat in high school while I (laughs) just stayed upright. That's all. Ooh. And then I had gymnastics the next period, and I threw oh, up. Oh, boy. Yep. <laughs> Formaldehyde really stays with you. Mm, it's a smell you never forget. It yeah. It never really leaves you. That was the moment I knew the doctor was pretty much out. I personally have been reading this for the past day, and I've been fine. <laughs> this has been actually kind of fun. You're not going to med school. I'm putting my foot down. <laughs> Absolutely not. No. No. <laughs> Near the end of his career, he began tattooing his surgery patients with a K in Morse code, which must make Dr. Simon Bramwell simply green with envy. (laughs) Just, just, you just, like you're an inspected ham. You just just need a little (laughs) mark. clearly marked, yeah, seal of approval. What is K in Morse code? Um, I assume that it's a series of dots and or dashes. Oh, who would have guessed? Ah, uh, no. Bolt from the Holy shit, it's dash dot dash. <laughs> so we all learned something today. Yeah. The number zero is five dashes, which just seems excessive. Yeah, that's unnecessary. Absolutely. What a stupid system. Uh, now, clearly Dr. Kane had several advantages over poor Dr. Rogozov. Trained assistants, a well-appointed operating theater, not being on the verge of death. But one advantage that they both had was that they were both medically trained. Oh no. We're heading down a bad path. That's a bad sentence. <laughs> I don't know. I'm feeling I'm feeling I'm feeling perky. Of course you are. Uh, cesarean sections oh, are god. an extremely dangerous procedure. Oh god. Prior to medical in- innovations of the late 19th and early 20th centuries, these procedures were almost invariably fatal for the pregnant person and often for the baby. And thus were generally performed when the mother was considered beyond saving or already dead. I was gonna say, why do it if it kills them both? <laughs> like that's just we're just we're just carving a dead baby out of a dead mom. Just <laughs> she won't fit in the coffin, so we need to just mm. scoop it out real quick. Just downsizing. <laughs> oh, God. We already had it. we we had it made well beforehand. There was a deal on them. Oh my <laughs> she God. Was a bit, she was a bit slimmer back then. <laughs> this is a dark. Dark topic. <laughs> My uterus itches. Can I go? <laughs> you can't go. Puke and rally. <laughs> uh, that is, in Europe, cesareans were almost invariably fatal. Oh. There exist contemporary accounts from the 19th century of cesarean operations performed by indigenous healers using both local anesthetic and antiseptic botanical preparations, where maternal survivor was routine and expected from the African Great Lakes region. I feel like that just has more to do with, like, respect for female life. Yeah. <laughs> like, they might have cared more. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't assume that, like, surgery was super advanced in the, in, in like, in, like, Uganda at the time. Uh, but, like, <laughs> just giving a shit probably helped quite a bit. <laughs> just, like, caring that women might die. <laughs> I just like that the conditions for a C-section are the mother is beyond saving or dead. She's not always dead. So I imagine sometimes yeah, she's just always. like, I'm not fine. Always. No, I've, I can do this. And they're like, no, shut up, Carol. You're getting a fucking C-section. You shut your mouth. <laughs> she's like, no, don't do it. I have so much to live for. 
I'm really terrible. Think about it. I'm not even in labor. It's three weeks to I'm go. I'm not even pregnant. <laughs> this, is, this has just been a murder. Uh, likewise, there is some indication from Talmudic source, uh, accounts that in cesareans performed among Roman-era Jewish populations, the pregnant patients regularly survived. So just, uh, just Europeans suck at this. Cleanliness is, I think, part of what was in a contributing factor because it's in cleanliness is incredibly important in Judaism. There's just a as a general rule, uh, Jewish populations tended to get sick less often from dumb things uh, because maybe eating ripe pork and shellfish stored at room temperature before the advent of refrigeration was a bad idea, guys. Weird. <laughs> Weird maybe that was works. a bad idea. <laughs> so they don't want to be, like, elbow deep in a corpse and then just go right to the maternity ward. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those odd historical things. It's like, maybe the old Jewish lady down the lane is giving you the evil eye, but maybe we should just all stop literally shitting in the water supply. <laughs> <laughs> She's onto something. <laughs> You're disgusting. Uh, in this context, you can probably understand how dangerous a cesarean performed on oneself uh, can be. However, there is at least one known case of a successful auto cesarean. Oh, God. <laughs> Inez Ramirez Perez, a 40-year-old indigenous Zapotec woman, was living in a remote area of rural Oaxaca, Mexico, in March 2000, when she went into pre premature labor 80 kilometers away from the nearest doctor. Oh, that date is way too modern for me. <laughs> mm, mm, oh. Isn't it great? Oh, no. Uh, she's, she's at least at least 58 now. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, this poor woman. Uh, this was 80 kilometers away from the nearest doctor, which, given the rough roads, meant a trip of more than five hours, even if she were willing to risk the trip alone mid-labor. Her husband was apparently out drinking. Uh, <laughs> and is hopefully now single, you fucking asshole. Uh, you like, there is, there is some acceptable bad behavior from husbands. This is not it. <laughs> this is decidedly divorce rights. <laughs> <laughs> My father was awake for almost four days when I was born. <laughs> he came off a 12-hour shift. My mom went into labor and was in labor with me for three days because I am the worst. I began life as the worst. And she just did not allow my father to not be present for all of it. <laughs> my father was fully hallucinating by the time that I was born. By cesarean, funny enough. Not really not one my mother did herself. They they have doctors in Moncton. No, no. Moncton Moncton is a little closer to civilization. <laughs> not by a lot, but not by we a have lot. a few luxuries. But like... they do have doctors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not having to perform your own cesarean. It's, it's a service yeah. they provide. Ramirez's last pregnancy had ended in stillbirth after a midwife recommended a cesarean that Ramirez simply wasn't able to get in time, and she worried that this child too might die without drastic measures to prevent it. She sent her young son, Benito, who, depending on the source I was looking at, is either six or eight at the time. And needs so uh, much therapy. She sent him out to buy something suitably sharp. Oh my god. So after enduring the pain for 12 hours, Ramirez downed some liquid courage, specifically several swigs out of a bottle of hard liquor, and sat down on a low bench with a six-inch kitchen knife to do what had to be done. Oh dear god. Being a woman is so awful. It took three attempts and roughly an hour for Ramirez to cut into her own abdomen. Oh, God. Holding the knife by the blade rather than the handle to give herself better control. The incision she made was much larger than a professional doctor would have made. Not to d disparage her technique. Say, are we really criticizing her right now? <laughs> really? The, cu the cut was 17 centimeters long. Oh, God. 6.7 inches. 
as opposed to the standard surgical cesarean incision of about 10 centimeters, or just under 4 inches. After getting through the muscle of the abdomen, Ramirez rummaged around through her own innards for a bit, (laughs) until she found her uterus and pulled out her infant son. She then cut the umbilical cord with a pair of scissors, shoved her organs back in, and passed the fuck out. (laughs) (laughs) She did good. I mean, uh, I, I don't think I can identify a human uterus when asked to pick it out of a pile of potatoes, so I'm not sure... <laughs> I'm not sure that I could find it in myself. Just line up a, line up a bunch of organs and ask, ask, ask which one hurts you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure that I'm cut out for self-cesarean. <laughs> Weak. <laughs> yeah, it was super weird reading the, uh, the, the, the sources for this, the news sources for this, because a lot of them were less like, wow, look at her can-do attitude, she's so strong, like, no, oh man. this is not a thing to admire. This should be like, look at Mexico's failed and broken system. My primary reaction to this was just like, Mexico is failing its rural population. Yeah, what a deeply <laughs> broken world this is, that women sometimes have to do their own cesarean with a knife they had their infant son purchase that afternoon. Yeah, like, like, like she got a six and or eight-year-old to purchase a suitably sharp knife and then gave herself surgery in her fucking kitchen. Like, this is a failure on the highest level of multiple, <laughs> multiple institutions of society. This should not happen. <laughs> no. This is not, this is not a thing to admire. After regaining consciousness, Ramirez sent little Benito out again, this time to fetch first aid. He returned several hours later with the village medical assistant, who stitched her up and put her on a bus to the local clinic an hour away. Put her on a bus? She was then sent- mm-hmm. <laughs> just, just get the a bus. A little bus. You'll be fine. Don't think about it. Oh, believe me, all I can think about right now is self-cesarean in the kitchen. It, it drowns out all other thoughts. Joy, <laughs> hope... Childlike wonder. They're all just no, no. It's just a just a Mexican woman digging out her own fucking uterus with a kitchen knife. <laughs> I can't remember my mother's face. All I can remember is is kitchen cesarean. <laughs> God. She was then sent on to the nearest hospital. Ramirez required extensive surgery, both to repair the incision and the damage done to her intestines during her impromptu DIY cesarean. She was released from the hospital ten days after her operation and made a full recovery and returned to her seven children alongside their new brother, Orlando. Oh, dear God. That's a story that those uh, hospital doctors still tell at the dinner table. Yeah, oh, absolutely. That's still their, like, what's the craziest shit you've ever seen, like... In fact, in fact, on her way back, because the uh, the bus the bus would have taken so long, it was a, it is a 12-hour drive, she got off part of the way there and took a shortcut hike through the woods. She hiked home. Yeah, she hiked home with her of baby course she in a did. sling. <laughs> oh, she's got the baby too. Oh, good. Good. Oh, oh my god. We are failures as And I'll bet her husband didn't do the dishes while she was oh, gone. Oh, I bet. She came uh, home to a disaster of a home. Yeah, seven dirty children and a sink full of dishes. Kids feral, clothing unwashed, bathroom on fire. Just, just everything fell apart no while food, she was gone. No food in the fridge. I... Yeah, <laughs> I don't have a lot of uh, faith I don't have in a lot of husband. confidence in, 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 you know what, I'm, I'm just going to say it, Mr. Ramirez. I'm just going to assume, even though, like, that's not how Spanish names work, that, like, he just, he just had, took her name. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, she's the one keeping this family together. Needless to say, Ramirez was incredibly lucky, both for having done minimal damage to her internal organs and not having succumbed to either sepsis or infection. (laughs) Incidentally, she still owns the knife. 
and use it to chop vegetables. <laughs> oh dear God! Oh my God! Oh my God! Just, just. I like to think that whenever her like Orlando the baby is being a little shit because he'd be eighteen now, she just fucking pulls out that knife and is like, "I dug you out of my own body with this knife, <laughs> and I will stuff you right the fuck back in." Oh yeah, my mother has not forgiven me. And will bring up, with very little provocation, the fact that she pushed out my nine-pound, two-ounce bowling ball self from her body decades later. <laughs> this this kid has no chance. He has, his mother has literally the worth, like, the suffering I went through to give birth to you story. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fucking doomed. My, my mother was in labor for 72 hours, and that's a number I know well. <laughs> by this point in my life but yeah she's got nothing on this woman see see i find it very interesting that my mother would even bring it up at all considering that like my mother was on her feet for most of the time she was pregnant with me she was working as a pizza delivery person oh, fun while heavily pregnant and so 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 in shape when she had me that she was up and looking at me about two hours later and the nurse came by and was just like oh uh, what are you doing up here? And she's like, oh, I, I just gave birth. She's like, oh, oh, really? Uh, which one's yours? And then she just points at me. And I am nine pounds, two ounces. And I'm sitting in like a little pink bobble hat. And I'm sitting next to a little preemie boy who's about five pounds. And I look like a Thanksgiving turkey. And this this poor nurse goes white as a sheet and goes like, oh! Oh, you gave birth to that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's excellent. That's awesome. Yeah, all my my early life started the same way. I was born in shock because you can't try to push out a baby for 72 hours. You just, mm. you, they just call it. Eventually, just, mm, they just, just call it. Well, eventually, mm. like, baby's heart starts to fail, so... Mm. I was born in shock. That, yeah, I they was had born to remove by, you like a tumor. You I was born at all. <laughs> removed like a tumor. I got stuck. I was ten and a half baby. pounds. Ten and a half pounds of me, with a full head of hair. So, <laughs> my early baby photos are me in the NICU because that's you have to go there if you're born with any kind of complication. And so my mother, like. Like, same deal would would point me out and there'd be like itty bitty preemie itty bitty preemie itty bitty preemie ten pound baby with a full head of blonde hair. <laughs> we started in this world as we meant to go on. Always Large, fat French and fat fabulous. French and fabulous <laughs> from the very beginning. Just unreasonably large and absurd. <laughs> Separated by time, provinces, and hair color, but not birth weight. <laughs> no, and and I I was born the natural way. My mother pushed me out. Oh just no! Enough of you. <laughs> I was having none of that. I was firmly <laughs> stuck. <laughs> it's warm in here. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I'm not leaving. If I if I leave, I have to leave no in Moncton. So no, no thanks. <laughs> it's no for This me. is fine. <laughs> I know what's out there. It's it's New Brunswick. I'm staying in here. <laughs> I'm staying right here. Thank you. In any case, I hope I haven't made too many of you queasy. Well, you haven't killed your host. <laughs> your co-host so. Janelle's still going <laughs> still going just podcasting with my head between my knees yeah. like I'm waiting for my airplane to crash yeah. if if Remington was driving again I am sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah Remington is our, our listener who 
nearly drove off the road while listening. So if if this didn't do it, do him in, nothing will. We probably should have put a much more comprehensive warning at the beginning. Yeah, I don't. I'm not very. I'm not good at this. I I don't know what disturbing is and what it isn't. You know what? I put explicit on the podcast. You fuckers figure it out. <laughs> I don't know if you were ready for this. I you maybe you just thought there'd be a couple fucks, <laughs> a little nope. bit of cussing, mm, but uh, nope. Nope, nope. Fucks, cussing, and bile. Aren't we a fun variety show? Bet you weren't expecting that. (laughs) In any case, I've been Jessica. And I've been Janelle, I hope. (laughs) And we have been Fat, Fat, French, French, and and Fabulous. Fabulous. Hey everybody, if you made it through this episode of Fat, French, and Fabulous, you get a gold star. Either that or a sparkly penguin, depends on what you're into. In any case, we do hope that you've enjoyed the episode. Do consider rating or reviewing us. We'd be really into that, it helps people find the show, and it helps soothe our fragile artistic egos. Uh, If you'd like to get in contact with us or keep up with what we're doing, you can follow us on Facebook at Fat, French, and Fabulous, or on Twitter at Fat, French, Fab. If you'd like to follow us individually, you can find Janelle at Very Bad Llama, or me at I Am Not Alone Fit. See you next week.